0: G'day and welcome to Overdrive, where we mull over issues to do with cars and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we have news stories including car sales, Japanese numbers stumble, while full electric vehicles equal hybrid sales. Australia gets another bite at the Cherry and Toyota's small SUV to go all hybrid. And in our feature stories, we talk more at length about the new Cherry Emota 5, on the market, including Dean Oliver and his appraisal of its design appeal, and we review the Genesis large sedan, the G80, with an all-electric powertrain. It's a beauty. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. This program was first broadcast on the 11th of March 2023, and we begin it with the news. Car sales in Australia for the first two months of this year have been dominated by vehicles manufactured in one of four countries. 81% of vehicles come from either Japan in first position, Thailand, China or Korea in fourth. This is very similar to last year with Thailand and Korea maintaining their share of the market. But Japanese sales, while keeping the top spot, have declined significantly as vehicles built in China have doubled their market share. Chinese cars are not just from new brands on our market. Australian-bound Teslas, for example, are built in China. In 2022, Japanese-sourced vehicles accounted for 36% of the market, but this has now dropped to 28%. The magnitude of this decline is very much reflected in the drop in sales of Toyota vehicles. Toyota has held a dominant position in the Australian market and is still number one. But for the whole of 2020, they captured 21% of our market. So far this year, they have just 16% of the market. For the month of February, nearly 10 times more electric vehicles were delivered compared to the same month in 2022. So far this year, the number of electric vehicles supplied to customers is almost the same as the number of hybrid vehicles. The high demand for electric vehicles means that once processed, A boatload of vehicles can be delivered in a short period, so sales numbers are likely to fluctuate very much depending on shipping schedules. Cherry motor vehicles are about to relaunch onto the Australian market, and this should help increase sales of vehicles built in China. Cherry, spelt with one R, was first launched in Australia in 2011. They ultimately offered three small vehicles, the J1 City Car, the J3 Hatchback and the J11 Compact SUV. The vehicles were quite simple in their design, reflecting the mood of the times with smooth, rounded corners. A low price was one of their strongest selling points. The J1 City Car was priced at $9,990 drive away. They did not sell well and withdrew from our market officially in 2015. Part of their problem was a lack of the safety feature, electronic stability control, which meant the J1 could never be sold in Victoria due to a state law that was ultimately adopted for the whole country. They are now re-entering the market with their first model, the Emoda 5, a small SUV. The exterior design is much more striking without going over the top in quirkiness. The interior has some rather flat elements and low-priced materials, although the seats are synthetic leather. The driver's seat is electric in all models, while the passenger seat adjustment is electric in the top specification EX. The range of safety and comfort features is surprisingly long, although they miss a few things such as there is no sat-nav. Cherry is relying on people linking their phones into the car, with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto as standard. It has lane departure warning, but not lane keep assist, and this, with a few of the other technologies in the car, needs further improvement as it produces some jerky responses. The vehicle has achieved a five-star ANCAP crash test result. Cherry is showing confidence in its product with a seven-year unlimited kilometre warranty, seven years of roadside assistance, and seven years capped price servicing. Excluding on-road costs, the base variant is priced at just under $30,000, while the flagship EX is $33,000. A more detailed discussion of this vehicle is in this week's Overdrive program. And finally, Toyota has announced that the second generation of their CHR small SUV will be offered exclusively with a hybrid powertrain. Australian customers purchased a record 72,815 hybrid Toyotas in 2022, representing 31.5% of the brand's overall sales. Toyota Australia expects electrified vehicles to account for more than 50% of its sales by 2025. These will be mainly hybrids, although they are bringing in a few full electric vehicles by this time. While globally the new CHR will have a plug-in hybrid option, for Australia we will only get the standard self-charging hybrid technology. In addition to reducing CO2 emissions of its vehicles, Toyota Motor Corporation is also targeting carbon neutrality in all its facilities by 2030. Toyota has said that they will not be releasing their new CHR until the first half of 2024. They appear to be talking, as much as possible, about their electrification efforts in light of recent criticisms that the company has been slow to embrace a strategy of bringing full electric vehicles to market. They also need to try and raise the image of the CHR, whose design has been polarising and whose sales have not been strong. So far, this year, Toyota CHR is only 12th in the small SUV below $45,000 segment, and two prestige vehicles in the above $45,000 segment, the Volvo XC40 and the Audi Q3, have sold more models. And that has been the news. The Chinese car manufacturer, Cherry, was first launched in Australia in 2011, and that didn't really work out very well. At the time, it was a very affordable car, but for a variety of reasons, it didn't continue on, and they stopped selling around 2015. They bounced back into the market, and when they first came onto the market, it was perhaps a car for the time, Is it a different beast altogether, particularly on how it looks and its overall design philosophy? Our design expert and Overdrive's in house artist, artist in residence, is our good friend Dean Oliver. Good day, (laughs) Dean.
1: Thank you, David. Hello.
0: if you look back at uh, 2011, and they had the little J1, this is uh, around that time, a little bit later, that Cherry was sued by General Motors for copying the Matiz. You remember General Motors bought Daewoo, and then they kept producing the Matiz, and and in fact General Motors won that. But the early model, the J1 that we saw, and more particularly the J3, they were... A rounded, simple car. It was a car for the
1: time in its look. Yeah, very much a, a car for the, the times of, of the mid sort of 2000s. And and yeah, look, they, they just took their designs from wherever they could lift them. Uh, bits of this, bits of that. And yes, they, they, certainly, they certainly borrowed from, from the Koreans and the Taiwanese too, which is somewhat ironic. And uh, yeah, the the cars, they're anonymous little cars. And uh, I must say I was aware of them, but... They weren't very high on the radar, and, uh, and then, yes, as you say, they just sort of disappeared, but here they are back again. What's the model called, David?
0: It's the... The Emoda 5. Let's pass on that just for the moment. But, but you, you'd have to say this SUV-ish-looking vehicle... It has,
1: I think, a degree of balanced style about it. First impressions were, oh, no, here we go again. But, uh, look, on reflection and spending a little bit of time with it, I'm, I'm starting to actually enjoy the shape. And by their own press release, says uh, it's an uh, avant-garde face and an intelligent uh, design. And uh, it certainly is avant-garde. And uh, the grille, the, the front of the car is quite uh, interesting, I think, from a design point of view. Uh, uh, the 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 design of the of the grill that they've uh utilized a kind of gradient, by their own description a gradient design of diamonds and uh, and the like which from a, a front view does give the impression of uh, a perspective and and form and depth which of course belies the, the pretty upright um rounded upright boxy sort of feel of the front of the car Viewed from the front, yes, it does. It gives an impression of form and uh, movement and perspective and shape, which is uh, which is intriguing. Yes, and I found myself enjoying looking at it.
0: When you say it has like little uh, a plethora of little not quite diamonds, but little symbols on that, but they start a little bit contracted, a little smaller at the top of the grill, and get bigger and a little bit more shape to them as it goes down the grill. That's what you're talking about, giving the third dimension?
1: Yes, it just gives the impression of uh, of depth and, and form, which is actually not there, but it's an impression. Now, look, maybe that's a sort of a foretaste of, of the rest of the car. Our car was a sort of a metallic light, a grayish metallic color with really quite dramatic red flashes uh, around the wheels and under the door sills, which uh, at first I scoffed at. And then the more I looked at it, I started to actually enjoy it and then, I mean, it's going to appeal to a certain market, and and that's fine. It's even got red brake calipers, and uh, I'm always slightly amused at at this fashion of red brake calipers. Uh, I think they're lovely.
0: Those accentuations, it's not just a tacky GT stripe. They actually follow the form of the car. They do accentuate rather than just try to create a very cheap image.
1: Is that a fair reflection? Yeah, fair comment, David. And um, uh, it would have been easy just to have put, you know, the good old GT stripe along the, the roof or down the side or angled along the front uh, quarter. But, no, they, they've actually looked a little bit further than that. And uh, and the shapes kind of set off the pretty dramatic rear three-quarter view of the taillights, which do look like they could have been borrowed from other manufacturers. There's hints <laughs> of other, other design there, but... Uh,
0: Interior, does that deserve the same
1: reflection? Yeah, look uh, comfortable. I found myself pretty comfortable. Uh, The seats uh, look good and uh, they're quite comfortable. Good headroom, potentially good legroom, but spoiled a bit by a large rectangular center console, which for me spoiled the interior it didn't need to be there, and it probably didn't need to be there if it wasn't just... I think the the flat surface actually charges your your smartphone. You can can put your smartphone there and it'll charge it. Uh,
0: I thought the whole flatness of that interior where the dials were had sort of 1950s laundromat about it. It looked like it was just plonked on there and you meant to be impressed by the fact that there was a button or a control knob rather than putting it into any elegant design.
1: Yes, there, there was a lot going on there, David, certainly, and um, bits of design coming from all over the place and uh, right from that, that boxy sort of rectangular centre console up to, the, to the, the main dash and the, uh, and the technology display area. And there's lots going on, lots to look at. I think it would take you a little while to find your way around, particularly by feel. The first
0: cherries that came into Australia, they weren't sold in Victoria because they didn't have electronic stability control. And Victoria at that stage had said, if you don't have that, you can't sell it." <laughs> to Cherry's credit, it's got a five-star rating,
1: Fashion After we um, got out of the Cherry, we hopped into the new Honda HRV, uh, which uh, it just showed to me immediately the difference between the level of development that Honda has in their cars compared to the emerging Chinese manufacturers. Uh, the Honda things just worked, and, and there was immediate, a feel, just the feel of the car, the feel of the steering. Yeah, it was just uh, on another level.
0: Once you got past the ugliness of
1: the grill in the Honda. <laughs> Oh, maybe that's something that Honda could probably actually look at Cherry there. Maybe here's a point. Maybe che- Honda could actually steal a little bit of Cherry's design at the front. That would be interesting, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. What a disappointment, uh, David. Uh, yeah, yeah. So say no more. Just, so, just disappointed. <laughs> Sorry, Honda.
0: Dean, I always appreciate your comments and your perceptions. Uh, they're wonderful, and I enjoy our chat. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks,
1: David. Good to be with you.
0: And that's our artist in residence, Dean Oliver, talking about the cherry, giving it, I think, an honest appraisal of where it fits in the market and what might appeal to you and what might not. You're listening to Overdrive. One of the worst things you can do is judge a car by your first impressions you get into it. While that may seem logical and is part of the buying process, I suppose, from a road tester's point of view, it does reflect the car that you've just got out of. Now, we've just put our good friend and road tester Evan Jones through that very process by driving a Genesis luxury $145,000 saloon into a cherry SUV new on the market. It's not to say either was good or bad, but they were
2: certainly different. Evan joins us on the line. Evan, was it the shock of the new? It was the shock of the culture, yes. I think chalk and cheese comes to mind. Like you said, we got out of something that was just so full of luxury and culture, so much so, oh, look, I listened to Norm, normally I listened to metal, and that car I felt obliged. I felt obliged to listen to classic, and it just fitted. such a beautiful car. Whereas the Cherry, well, credit where credit's due, I've driven worse cars. It was reasonably practical. And if we don't talk about the rear vision mirror, which is another story, it's okay. It's got a lot of appointments, so the price is not bad. And you may recall we were exposed later on to another car, which we won't mention by name, but it was worth over 100000 yet it had manual seats and vinyl coverings. And the cherry is leather and electric seat.
0: And it's got things like remote start. You can cool the car down or heat it up from a distance at a time before you want to get into it. The list of features in the Cherry, I think, was enormous. But it has a plethora of driver assistance, but not lane keep assist. It has lane departure warning. So we turned off all that those devices very quickly, didn't we? Because it tugged and pulled at the steering wheel in a manner that you didn't really understand why.
2: Yeah, it was very controlling, whether it reflected the uh, the regime from where it come from, I don't know. But we, until we turned it off, it was very controlling. But then we discovered the car has a bit of a complex, and it kept talking to us. <laughs> without warning. It will just talk to us. uh.
0: Some cars have a response to you waving your hands and that, but at times, as you say, it came up with a, I don't understand what you're saying. Maybe it was a comment on our quality of conversation. And then if we
2: went quiet, it would say after a few minutes, I'm here. (laughs) Well, we know we're driving here. I was expecting a red light to come up on the dash and say, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. 2001. Yes, proportionally that never happened.
0: You told you if you weren't paying enough attention,
2: but told you rather quickly too. You've been a, r- distracted for a while. No, I'm looking at the bloody window. <laughs> I know. I want to see where I'm going. I'm not going to look at the dash all the time. <laughs> it is a car that with an insecurity complex. It really is.
0: 1.5 litre, 115 kilowatts. The CVT gearbox has quite a lot of steps, and so being a CVT, it can get a very low ratio to start off with. In fact, the starting off can come with quite a punch. Oh,
2: yeah. It, it, it's, not, it's not an unpleasant car to drive. It, it gets up and goes quite well. It's not noisy. But it's not unpleasant. Because as you say, with the CVT, once you start cruising, yeah, the engine rev drop right off, so it's good for fuel economy. Yeah, but there are just some little things, like you say, the interior, the centre console, it really gets you how bland that is. It just looks like plywood painted matte black and a lack of little things like um, your digital radio and things like that. We will review
0: the car. In
2: a, it, a little it while, shall be named. <laughs> it shall
0: be named. <laughs> Evan, uh, thanks for that. I always appreciate your reflections. Thanks for your time. Bye bye. And that's Evan Jones, our road tester and one who uh, calls it as he sees it, and reflecting on the difference between very luxurious and the very price vehicle, horses for courses in a way. This is Overdrive across
1: Australia.
3: I have just spent a week in the all new Nissan Pathfinder and I have to say I am impressed. First thing you notice is they're bigger than you realise, both outside and inside. The top model TIL comes with a full shopping list of safety, little luxuries and comfort features. Front two seats are like a lounge chair with multiple adjustments available and both heated and cooled. The middle two seats are equally comfortable and the third row, while okay, are best left to shorter trips for younger passengers. The model we drove has a clever all-wheel drive system and is powered by a 35 liter v V6 petrol engine. There's no hybrid version though. Transmission is smooth 9-speed automatic transmission that always seems to be in the right gear. Economy can be relatively frugal or heavy depending upon circumstances. It will coast easily around town which is a good thing. Driving the Pathfinder is easy but the overbonnet view is a little restricted. The internal layout works well and looks impressive. One thing I can see this being is an ideal family SUV that likes to go on snow holidays or tow a smaller boat or caravan. Nissan Pathfinder TIL is priced from 80277 plus seizure costs. This is Motoring Minute. I'm Brandon Fraser.
1: You're listening to Overdrive.
0: Sedans in general are in decline. We are now moving much more to SUVs and utes, yet... There is still that position for the large luxury sedan vehicle. Do you want your prime minister to be jumping out of a big SUV or a low-slung, elegant sedan? I think the latter rather than the former. Now, of course, we've lost the Ford Fairlane and the Holden Statesman in various guises, but were very large cars but there are still a few on the market, and there are a couple that are becoming electric vehicles. From the Hyundai Group, the Genesis, their luxury brand, comes the G80 large sedan, and they have made it into an electric vehicle. Does it meet the elegance that it deserves or that we want? Let's ask Alan Zervis from Gay Carboys. Alan, what is the feeling you want to get from being driven around in or driving in a large luxury sedan?
4: Well, thanks for asking, David. I like to be in the back of a luxury large sedan. There's nothing I like more than being driven around from airport to whatever in a, a, a long wheelbase car.
0: We took the Jaguar down to Canberra one time, the XJ, and people waved at us, didn't they? Well, they waved at you. You were sitting in the back perhaps both my position and my sophisticated looks? No, perhaps not. We're both overstated. Yes, I quite agree. And it did sort of feel that way. Although if you go back to then, the Jaguar had a number of things that were optional that should have been standard, such as adaptive cruise control, but things have moved on. We have this G80 Genesis. It is
4: worthy of the title luxury? Absolutely. I think Toyota had the same problem when they started the Lexus offshoot, and they've tried to make that a standalone brand, although everybody knows it's just a Toyota. Would you pay that much money for a luxury Toyota, they said. And Genesis, I think, has the same problem. The thing about Genesis is, though, it's continually at the top of the JD Power surveys for customer satisfaction. And if we were comparing it with that now very old Jaguar XJ, it's faster. It's more economical, more comfortable, has more stuff in it, and it's all-wheel drive.
0: And it's surprisingly, massively in many ways, in real terms, cheaper.
4: Well, it was probably half the price of that Jaguar. And, you know, that Jaguar's now, I don't know, how long ago did we do that trip? Would it be six or seven years? Mm. Six years?
0: Yeah, it'd be about that. And it was about $200,000 then, this electric vehicle genesis is what price
4: One forty five thousand, david so it's about 20 ish thousand more than its v6 counterpart with the luxury pack and of course there's a turbo four-cylinder version as well surprisingly despite the fact that this is an ev i think they've packaged the battery into this car very well because it handles beautifully
0: Going back to the glory days of wonderful saloons, Bentleys and such, this really fulfills that role, not only because of the luxury features, but its performance. Two electric motors, all-wheel drive, 272 kilowatts, 700 newton metres of torque. This goes from 0 to 100 in 4.9 seconds. Actually, Alan, I don't care if it's 4, 5 or 6. That doesn't really bother me. You know what I really like about it? It gets the power to the grounds with such
4: incredible confidence. What I would call a well-sorted car, David, it has such poise. But, David, one of the important things they have to ask, and they should ask this when they're going EV shopping about all the EVs they view How fast can they charge? Oh,
0: yes. People often say, well, there's a charger nearby and I have a vehicle that is electric and so therefore can be charged. Not all of those are equal, are they?
4: They aren't. They can absolutely use any of those chargers. There's no question. But the point is how fast they will fill up that battery. Now, the bigger the battery, the longer the charge, regardless of what car it is. But the Hyundai group, which includes Kia and Genesis can mostly charge at the 350 kilowatt ultra-fast chargers, if you can find one that's working.
0: I think this one will charge from about 20 to 80% in about 22 minutes.
4: But, David, it's got an 87.2 kilowatt-hour battery. And what else is important with EVs, you may well ask? Do I hear you asking that? What's more important with EVs, Alan? Range, David. Range. <laughs> In our test, I got around 500 and some change. Oh,
0: really, I didn't do quite as well. I wasn't particularly hooning, but I was driving down a lot of motorways at 100, 110 kilometres an hour. I sat for an hour in that car and did some work. And you know why it was great? Because
4: I could leave the air conditioner on without making noise and without making pollution. There's a power point in the back under the back seat, and you can also plug in the auxiliary charger for the vtl outside
0: now this car does have solar
4: panels in the roof the glass panel takes the place of where your sunroof normally would be so we don't have a sunroof and it doesn't really seem to add a lot left it parked outside and it will add a small amount of charge but i think really it's a gimmick we've seen that in the past with that mazda 929 from gosh would that be 30 or so years ago mm. And it had a solar powered sunroof, small solar powered sunroof, and that would power the internal fans to keep the car's temperature down.
0: I looked at our car. It had about nine and a half thousand kilometers on it from running, and it said that it had produced the solar panels, had produced about two thirds of a full charge. Who knows exactly where that 9,500 trips were and how much of that was out in the sun, but it suggests if you get 100,000 kilometres out of the car, you're probably only going to get seven or eight full battery charges. But it is portent of things to come, perhaps?
4: Well, I think uh, more importantly, if you were trapped out on the nullable, you could probably run the air conditioning at least and keep yourself alive. Okay, yeah. So, yes, it is a portent of things to come, but I think more importantly, the technology that's in the car now will serve it well for a decade.
0: And that was Alan Zervis from GayCarBoys.com talking about the Genesis G80. It's still wonderful to have an elegant saloon on the market with much of the latest technology, including being an all-electric vehicle with that glorious surge of power with comfort And stability. You're listening to Overdrive.
3: The Hyundai Santa Fe has been very popular over the years. Late last year, they upgraded the models and added a hybrid version in two top models. The hybrid engine is a 1.6-liter turbo four-cylinder petrol engine with a six-speed automatic transmission. It also comes exclusively in all-drive versions power is 169kW and torque is 350Nm from an impressively low 1000rpm. This makes for quite smooth and relaxing driving but allows for some zippy acceleration when asked. Economy is around 6 litres per 100km which is excellent for a mid to large 7 seat SUV. I drove the top model the Highlander with 6 seats and it lacks for nothing in the way of safety, comfort and luxury. I like the blind spot camera that comes on the dash when the indicator is on. It's useful, clever but shouldn't replace the good old fashioned glance over the shoulder. The two middle row seats look prestigious. Like most SUVs, the size is much better as a five seat, or in this case, a four seat family runabout. The hybrid Santa Fe Elite is priced from 63,000 and the Highlander from 69,550 plus usual costs. This is Motoring Minute, I'm Brianna Fraser.
0: And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Dean Oliver, Evan Jones, Alan Zervis and Mark Wesley for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.